And two weeks ago, I, I had the privilege to be able to minister to you. And, and this morning, I'm going to kind of go in the same direction that I did two weeks ago. And I'm going to talk to you a, a message that the Lord has put upon my heart called a great salvation. How many of you know that our salvation is, is amazing? <laughs> it's amazing to be on this side of it. Amen. It's amazing to know that your sins are forgiven and that you've been washed in the blood of Jesus and that the Spirit of God is now living inside of your heart. That is the most comforting feeling that I could ever imagine. And I was thinking as I went through my week this week, that where would I be without Jesus? Like imagine if I did not know Jesus. Imagine if I did not have the peace of God in my heart while I saw my wife undergo an operation. Imagine if I didn't have the peace of knowing the promises of God in my life when I was trying to comfort those that were suffering loss and they were hurting and they were mourning. Imagine if yesterday when we were out there on the streets and we were talking to people about a hope, imagine if I had no hope. Think about that. Imagine if you went to the store and you're just like, ah, I don't know, it's pretty bad, right? We're all just going to... Burn up and die. <laughs> what kind of hope would that be? That's not good news. Amen? That's horrible news. That's horrible news. Nobody would want to hear that. Nobody would want to just be like with somebody else and, you know, just having this pity party be between each other because you're hopeless. But the good news is that Jesus Christ is alive Amen? The good news is that Jesus Christ died for our sins, and he was risen three days later. And guess what? He is now seated at the right hand of God. And guess what? He was the bridge that God would use to bring relationship back to his creation. Jesus wants to have a relationship with every man, woman, and child. The Lord so desperately wants to see people come back to him. Can I tell you something, church? Those that are unbelievers, those that are still living their life in the world, they're no different than you and I. The Bible says that we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Amen? The only difference, though, is they're still prodigals. They're still children that have yet to come home. But they were created by God. Mark 16 and 15, you know the verse. It says, preach the gospel to all creation. There is a mandate upon the church. There is a commission and an assignment for the church to preach. Can I tell you something? We are all preachers. Somebody say amen. amen. See that voice that you just said amen with? should be better used for preaching the gospel instead of gossiping about your neighbor. <laughs> Woo! Oh, man, I'm going to get in trouble. Jesus, help me. But our tongue and our mouth and our life and this, this ability that we have to speak and share should be used for sharing the good news of Jesus. Amen. Everybody raise your hand real quick. Everybody. Don't be lazy on me. Raise your hand. You are all commissioned by God. You are all anointed by God. You are all appointed by God to preach the gospel. Amen. Give the Lord a praise. Acts chapter 13 and verse 47 says, For this is what the Lord has commanded us. Do you know when it says, it, uh, when the Lord says it's a, it, he's commanded us, it's a command? 
It's not optional. Let me read it again. This is what the Lord has commanded us. Not Pastor Duke. Us. Amen. He said, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and they honored the word of the Lord and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. So here in Acts chapter 13, we find Paul and Paul is, is, is speaking to these Gentile people. Gentiles means that they were people that were not Jewish. Because God's people were, was, were the Jews, right? Were the Israelites. But these were the people that were not Jewish. And ultimately, these people represented all the nations of the world. And so Paul is speaking to these people. And he's actually quoting a scripture from Isaiah. He's quoting this scripture in Isaiah 49 and verse 6. Where it says this. It is too small a thing to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob. And bring back those of Israel that I have kept. He said this. So I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And so Paul is actually saying that, that this prophecy, it actually applies to Jesus' followers. What the prophet Isaiah said centuries before, it actually applies to the followers of Jesus today. How many of you are following Jesus? Amen. You have committed to live a life. You said, I will die to myself. I will take up my cross. I will deny myself and I will follow Jesus. How many of us is that today? So this is the mission that the Lord has given for his followers. And so in Isaiah, the prophet was explaining that task of restoring, that is serving the Lord to restore Israel back to God. And so that servant announced his mission to Israel in verse 5 in Isaiah 49 and 5. It says, the Lord says, he who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and to gather Israel to himself. He says, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord and my God has been my strength. But the following verse that we had just read said that the mission wasn't just for the people of God only, but it was for all the nations of the world. How many nations do we have represented here this morning. Raise your hand if you're from the United States. Raise your hand if you're from another country other than the United States. You were born in another, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Is it, is it Puerto Rico, brother? Dominican Republic? Come on. Romania? Come on, raise your hand. Sister, India? Right? Where are you guys from? Mexico, come on, raise your hand. Where at? Nigeria, where at? Ghana, where at? Anybody else? Come on, somebody give the Lord a praise. It's the Lord's commission and the Lord's plan that the nations of the world would come to him. This is not just a, 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 a thing that is divided by race or, or some kind of denomination. The Lord is for everybody. Amen. The Lord is for the young. The Lord is for the old. The, the Lord is for those of color. The Lord is of those of not of color. The Lord is for everybody, church. But he goes on to say in his, in his word in verse 6 that redeeming Israel alone was too easy. And the Lord desired a greater display of his sovereignty and love to reach the nations of the world. This is why it says that we would be made a light. We would be made a light 
so that through the gospel and the work of Christ that his salvation would be brought to the ends of the earth. So Isaiah 49 and verse 8 says this. This is what the Lord says. In the time of my favor, I will answer you. And in the day of salvation, I will help you. He said, I will keep you and I will make you to be a covenant for the people to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritances and to say to the captives, come out and those in darkness be free. Everybody say, this is my assignment. See, God's plan of sending his son to die upon the cross. God's plan of sending his son to give his life was for the forgiveness of our sins. Amen. But his purpose in doing so was ultimately for the restoration of his creation. It wasn't just so that one tribe or one group of people could know God again. But it was for the restoration of all mankind. Every single person, every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. And because it was the Lord's perfect plan, because it was the design of God to send his son to redeem mankind from their lostness, from their pain, their despair, their addiction, their hurt, their evil deeds, the single act of God sending his perfect son to die a sinner's death for his beloved creation brought the Lord pleasure. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 10 says, It pleased the Lord to bruise him. When I read that verse, I don't think of a father that's, that's mean. I don't interpret this as a father that is somehow, you know, saying, you know what, this is what I want to do. I want to have my son be tortured. But in fact, I see and I recognize what the scripture is actually telling us. That he loves us so much. He loves us so much that he would give his son in your place. He loves us with an everlasting love, with a love that is so deep, with a love that is so reaching, that is so desiring to gather all of his creation back to himself. He loves you so much. Do you know that God loves you? The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he what? He gave his one and only son. That whoever would believe in him would not perish, but they would what? They would have eternal life. They would have eternal life. That is the picture of the love of God. And the gruesome death church that Jesus willingly submitted to out of love for your life and out of obedience to the Father's will is not something that we should ever take in vain. Amen? It's not something that we should ever take in vain. I hope that you're not just here for an hour and a half church service. But I hope that your heart is truly connected to the Lord. It is truly seeing what it was that was done on your behalf. Jesus is worth your life. Jesus is worth you giving up everything that you've ever had, everything that you've ever tried to achieve in this life. He's worth that and more. So much more. 
And the message of the gospel and the act of love that Jesus did on our behalf should never be just flippantly dismissed or glossed over in our life because the sins of mankind are too innumerable to count. <laughs> Last time I checked, you know, I, I, I don't have a running number of how many sins that I've committed, but I can guarantee it's more than I deserve to be forgiven for. Hmm. Last time you checked the sins of your life and the things that, that you once did and the way that you once did and the way that you sometimes just forgot about God and you just left him on the shelf and you just left him contained, you know, at some pew that you sit in at church. The last time, just think about that. All the things that sometimes we do knowingly or unknowingly, sometimes we do because we, we remember or we don't remember. Either way, our sins are too innumerable to count. And yet, he died for you. The lostness and the evil of mankind has shown itself to be so vile that even the most innocent of mankind is still wretched. Did you know that? Everybody needs the atonement that the blood of Jesus paid for. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 says this, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in, his, uh, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. I'll read it one more time. It said, just as sin entered the world through one man, who was the one man? Adam. And death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. The moment that you were born into this world, you began to die. That's not eternal life. Your body began to decay. Your body began to wither away. You began to eventually get to your end. Doesn't matter how young, doesn't matter how old you are, because the Bible says that tomorrow is not promised to any one of us. That's the truth. Tomorrow is not a, a, a guarantee that you will see, that your eyes will wake up to. But we find out that we are a sinful people, a sinful creation. But Romans 5 and verse 18 says this. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in the justification and life for all people. Can somebody say amen? For just as through the disobedience of one man there were made many sinners, so through the obedience of one man, it says, many will be made righteous. Thank you, Jesus. The death of Jesus was to justify an unrighteous creation before a holy and righteous God. Before a holy and righteous God. His life was the perfect example of a relationship with God nailed to a tree. And guess what? It was religion that put him there. That might have gone over some of your heads. It was religion that put him there. It was the Pharisees. It was the Sadducees. They were the one casting lots at the foot of the cross for his garments. They were the ones that assigned the Roman soldiers to put a crown of thorns upon the head of Jesus. To mock him and to tear his beard. They were the ones that had said he needs to take the place of a criminal. Barabbas. Do you know that Jesus did not deserve anything that came towards his life? 
But the Bible says that his life was not taken from him. He willingly laid down his life for you and for me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The death of Jesus was to offer life to all people who were dying in sin. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The gift that the Lord has given us is eternal life. And I must remind you today, church, that only through receiving this gift of salvation that Jesus offers you and the repentance of our sins and the renouncing of this world to follow Jesus, we will never be saved by our religious actions. Amen? Unless we choose to follow Jesus and say, you are Lord of my life. I am no longer living for myself. Then anything else short of that means that we're not saved and we're not truly following Jesus. This is the truth of the word of God. How many of you are saved this morning? Raise your hand if you're saved. Come on, come on, come on. Yes, look at all those hands. Angel, raise your hand. Angel, raise your hand. That guy just got saved right now, this morning. Come on. It should be louder than that. I said it should be louder than that. The Lord told me when I walked up to that young man that there was a divine purpose upon his life, and, and I immediately knew that he was not saved. The Holy Spirit told me, and I told him that. I said, Angel, is Jesus Lord of your life? And he said, no. I said, do you want to receive Jesus as Lord? He says, yes. Come on. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. So for those of us that raise our hand and we said that we are saved this morning, then understand that those who have been saved haven't just been saved to simply punch your ticket into heaven, but rather we are to be co-laborers with the commission and the work of God to bring Christ to all nations. To bring Jesus and the gospel to fulfill the mission of God in this world. This looks like the rescued. How many of you are rescued? Man, I'm rescued. I know that I've been rescued. This looks like the rescued becoming the rescuers. Amen. This looks like those who would bring restoration back to the land through the repentance of sin. Amen. This looks like those who would reassign its desolate inheritances like we read earlier. This meant that that phrase actually meant that families and tribes would re-inherit and re-inhabit lands that were once theirs. Do you know that the enemy is constantly trying to steal from you? Amen? Do you know that the enemy is constantly trying to rob you of your joy, rob you of your blessings, rob you of your inheritance, rob you of the promises that God has made for your life? And in Isaiah 49, verse 6, that verse that we read, it said that they would reassign desolate inheritances. That means that those that are children of God would help bring those who have lost their inheritance back to the place where they would receive it again. Oh, come on. That is a great truth. That is a powerful, powerful truth. I remember that song. How many of you remember that song? I went to the enemy's camp, and I took back what he stole from me. That's exactly what this scripture is talking about. It's talking about bringing back to those, those people that have lost something. Lost families because of addiction. Lost things because of, you know, carnal, you know, flesh and all this different type of stuff. And guess what? And the Lord is wanting to use the church once again to bring restoration back. 
So that everything that the enemy tried to steal and everything that the enemy tried to rob them of would be taken back and given back to them through Jesus. Jesus is our inheritance. Amen. I said Jesus is our inheritance. To preach to those in darkness and captivity, to tell them to come out and to be free. That's a good message, amen? Can I tell you, church, that you're not anointed, you're not appointed, and you're not assigned to be still, silent, and stagnant? You're not anointed, you're not appointed, and you are not assigned to be still, to be silent, and to be stagnant. The scripture teaches in Isaiah 61, verse 1, it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. Everybody say amen. amen. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to what? To proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and the release from darkness for the prisoners. That's a good assignment to be a part of. I don't know about you, but my, my Christian life is not boring at all. <laughs> If some of you think that this life in Christ is boring and it's mundane and you got other things on your mind, then you're not really following him. But when you're being led by the Holy Spirit of God and God is doing a work in your life, it is the most joyful, the most exciting, the most rewarding, the most humbling thing to know that you can follow Jesus. Come on. That's right, brother. Brother. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And what will you do with that power? He says, you will be my witnesses in where? In Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Matthew 5 and 14 says, you are the light of the world. Everybody say, I'm the light. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. He says, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Can I remind somebody today that if you're upset about the darkness and the evil and all these things that we see in our world, in our nation, it's not because, church, that the enemy is winning. It's because the church is not in the game. If you're upset about, oh man, darkness is overtaking our nation and there's so many things that are happening. Listen to me, church. It's not because the enemy is winning. He is eternally defeated. But it's because the church has been silent and the church is not doing what they have been commissioned and assigned and appointed to do. Oh man, the prophet said, wake up, oh sleeper. Wake up, oh sleeper. Wake up and take your rightful place in the kingdom. Jesus did not die a horrible death so that we could take the light of Jesus and hide it under a bowl. Oh, I'm going to hide Jesus under the bowl. He didn't die for that reason. He didn't die in that way, church. Albert Einstein said this. He said, light is not the absence of darkness. Darkness is the absence of light. Can I get my guys to shut off the lights real quick? Kill the lights, all of them. I'll illustrate this point for you. Darker. Thank you. Oh, I just disappeared. This is the only time I'm going to give you permission to use your phone. Turn on your phone light. 
Every single one. There they go. There they go. There they go. Somebody get a picture of this. Alizma, stand up and take a picture. Thank you, Jesus. All of a sudden, we can see. All of a sudden, it's like there's day again. All of a sudden, it's like there's, there's light that's resonating. And what does that light do? It's attractive. That light can be seen from afar. That light can be discovered in a place of darkness. That light is able to be seen no matter where you go. Amen? How many of you can see me right now, right? I disappeared for a second, but you, you should be able to see me here. Look, that's what light does. All right, we'll turn the lights back on. Light is not the absence of darkness, but darkness is the absence of light. And so the question of the hour is, where is your light? The question of the hour today is, where is your light, church? John chapter 1 and verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. And without him, who's the him? It's Jesus. Amen? Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. And it says the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has what? Not overcome it. The darkness has not overcome it, church. I want to give you quickly a few reasons why it is important to shine our light. Psalms 36 and verse 9 says this, For with you is the fountain of life, and in your light we see light. I'll say it one more time. With you, this is God, is the fountain of life, and in your light we see light. And so the first thing that you need to know is Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. It's only through Jesus that we are able to see God. Amen? It is only through Jesus that we are able to see God. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15 says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Jesus is the image of of an invisible God. And the only way you can see something invisible is if it is shown upon. I go to Chuck E. Cheese with my children from time to time. I don't much anymore. It's pretty pricey. <laughs> if anybody wants to bless my kids with a Chuck E. Cheese lunch date, that'd be awesome. <laughs> they would appreciate it. Here's the deal. I go to Chuck E. Cheese and they do this thing where you know, they want to make sure that you are the parent of the child. So they get this little marker stamp thing and they stamp your hand. You can't see it on your hand. It's invisible. There's a number, though. They put a number and they put it on each family member so that when you leave, they scan it with this, like, black light thing, and then they can see if all the numbers match, right? It's to prevent, you know, a child, you know, getting kidnapped or something. And so they put this thing on you, and here's the deal. It is only through... Jesus. Jesus is the reflection of God. He's the image of the invisible God. But unless there was light shining upon him, we would not be able to know God. This is why Jesus is above all things. This is why he is the light of the world, that when Jesus came to this earth, everything changed. When Jesus set foot upon this earth, everything that was broken was now able to be restored. Amen. And so Jesus is being seen through us. It gives people a glimpse of God. 
Matthew 5 and 16, I'll read it again. In the same way, let your light shine. If Jesus is the light and he is living in your heart, he's given you a light. He says, so therefore let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. But what is the good deed doing? The good deed is actually reflecting the Father. How would they know that there's a Father unless they saw your good deed? Amen. Are you understanding? Are you following me this morning? And so Jesus being seen through your life and in your life gives people a glimpse of who God is. Psalms chapter 4 verse 6 says this. Many, Lord, are asking, who will bring us prosperity? And he says this as a prayer. He says, so let the light of your face shine on us. Again, I, I was reminded of, of this precious family of Bobby I was reminded of them when I was getting this message ready, and they have a sign that they had posted, and that sign said this, I lost everything. I need your help. Please be blessed. Jesus loves us. And when I mentioned that to you earlier in the service, what was so moving to me was that he went to the ends of the earth to help his wife. That's love. Amen. I actually kissed my wife before I, I left the house this morning and I said, in sickness and in health, until God by death do us part. She was laying on the bed and, you know, just operated and doesn't feel too, too great. But I said, in sickness and in health. But the question the psalmist asked was, who will bring us prosperity? When I Hear that question, it immediately makes me think of the responsibility that the church has to a dying world. What is the church doing? Where has the church been? Why has the church been silent? Why has the church been, you know, maybe with their fists closed and, and not, you know, giving and generous like they used to be? That's a legitimate question. And so his answer to his own question was he said, Lord, make your face shine upon us. Make the glory of the risen king shine upon us so that they can see Christ through our life. Amen. But where are the people? Where is the body of Christ? Where are those who are carrying the gospel? And the very fact, church, that we know Christ today, our prayer should become the same as him. Let your face shine upon me, Jesus. Do you know, church, that people are dying all around us and just the simple action of saying, can I pray for you? It goes a long ways. It goes a long ways. But even more so, you know, the book of James talks about, you know, you see somebody in need, you know, they're, they're without clothes or without food, and you just say, oh, be, be, be well fed and blessed, and you walk off. That is where the scripture is talking about coupling our faith with actions, because faith without actions is dead. The church has to do the work once again. Amen. We got more stock in our pantries at home that we could be feeding other people. We have more resources and, 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 and blessings in our life. And guess what? The blessings that God has bestowed upon your life are not for your own. It's not just to take care of you. It's not to, just to provide for your life and your life alone. It's so that you could be a blessing to others. It's so that you can show the love of Jesus to others. Amen. Cause your face, Lord, to shine upon us. Because unless Christ is shining forth through us, then we are misrepresenting God. 
people don't want to see you and me. <laughs> Amen. I didn't just call everybody ugly. I didn't say that. But at the end of the day, you and me can offer them nothing. They need to see Jesus in us. Amen. The second thing, quickly, the light of Christ exposes sin. John 3 and verse 19 says, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, and, but the people love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. It says, Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. It says, But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. You see, when light isn't shown, sin runs rampant. When the light is not shining, sin runs rampant. I'll give you an illustration that maybe you'll understand a little bit closer. When the light's off, the cockroaches come out. <laughs> now everybody understood what I meant, right? Now y'all need to... That is your public service announcement to go buy bug spray, okay? It's spring, and uh, th those little critters are going to be running around. When the light's off, what happens? In the words of pastor, the chamuco comes out. <laughs> and there's all of a sudden there's this thing that begins to happen because there's a darkness that allows the demonic activity to stir. Some of you aren't getting it. But here's the deal. When light isn't present, and I'm talking about the light of Jesus, demonic activity begins to grow and multiply in the darkness. How many of you guys know what mold is? Mold grows in darkness. Fungus grows in darkness and in wet areas, right? You put light there and it dries up and it gets warm, it's gone. But when there's no light and all of a sudden it's just sitting there, guess what? All that ugliness of the fungus and the disease begins to grow. Here's the deal. When the light of Jesus is shining through your light, the believers, or the non-believers rather, when it's shining through the light of a believer, the other people's lives, in their life, sin is exposed, and the Holy Spirit will bring conviction. So when you walk around and you are a child of God, and you are shining the light of Jesus wherever you go, it actually brings conviction to another person's life. I can tell you that a lot of times I'll be having a conversation with somebody at a store, you know, and begin to just, you know, uh, talk to them about the Lord or whatever. And then all of a sudden they ask me, well, what do you do? I say, oh, well, I'm a pastor. Oh, their language changes. They, they sit up straight. They put out the cigarette, you know, like everything changes because they're talking to a pastor. Conviction, Right. It's so what's happening. There's conviction that all of a sudden took place, and not because I'm God. I'm certainly not God. But all of a sudden they were convicted in their heart because they know that there's something that's different about a holy God and their evil deeds. A holy God and the sinful things that they have allowed themselves to do. So when the light of Jesus shines through the life of a believer, sin is exposed in the life of somebody else. And so here's the deal. It's not the believer's responsibility to condemn unbelieving people. I need to say that, and I need to make a point of that, because here's the deal. Sometimes we think that, you know, because we have conviction, that our conviction is everybody else's conviction. But if they're not a believer, they first need to know Jesus. Amen. 
But here's the deal. We think, oh, well, I'm convicted to do it, then therefore I need to condemn the action in your life. And Jesus made it very clear in John 3 and 17. He said this, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Amen. He did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. In Ephesians chapter 5, it talks about condemning evil talk and it talks about condemning you know just evil deeds and evil actions but guess what it's talking to the church it's talking to those in the body of Christ that we're tolerating things and allowing certain conversations to be had and certain things to be done within the body he said that you shall condemn that you shall address, that you shall speak up about. But here's the deal. When you're trying to minister to a lost world and you're trying to show them who Jesus is, the first thing that you shouldn't say is you're condemned to hell. John 3.18 goes on further to say that if they refuse to believe, they themselves are already condemned. They'll condemn themselves. But that's not our job. That's not the work of the believer. The message of the gospel will bring conviction. It literally caused a Roman soldier to to be at the foot of the cross and to look up at Jesus dying upon that cross and to say, surely he was the son of God. You see, that's conviction. He was one of the people that actually put nails in his hands and his feet. And he looked up in that moment and he recognized that all of a sudden they did the most unthinkable thing that they nailed the son of God to a cross. And he was convicted in his heart that he looked up and he was able to say that surely he was the son of God. Here's the deal, church. The gospel does not need our edits. The gospel does not need our modifications or our own versions. It's perfect as it stands. So we need to let the Holy Spirit do the work. Amen. John 16 and 8 says when he comes, that's the Holy Spirit, he will prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. He says, about sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Do you know that the devil is defeated? Do you know that the enemy is eternally defeated? This scripture in in John right now, the prince of this world is the devil. Did you know that? If you don't know that, we better read our Bibles. Please, Lord, help us. The Bible says that the prince of this world has blinded the minds and the eyes of unbelievers so that they would not see the gospel and the light of Christ. The enemy's hard at work trying to put a veil and a covering and keep, you know, that that light of Jesus from permeating hearts and permeating lives. But here's the deal. The devil is already defeated, church. The devil is already defeated. And if you knew, like, like, I don't know if you were an athlete, but I was an athlete, you know, and, and I, I played lots of sports and I did lots of stuff. And I'm not very athletic anymore because my knees hurt. After 40, man, they just started cracking. So it's like popcorn. I, Brother Renee is sitting in the front row. He can probably hear him popping every now and again. But imagine going into a game as a person that's an athlete and knowing that you've already won. Imagine the confidence that you would have, like, going into the game and being like, dude, I already won. Now I just have to play the game, right? But if I already knew that the victory had already been secured, I would play so much more differently because I'd be like, dude, I got this. You know, I was a tennis player. Can you tell? No? All right. 
<laughs> Stay with me, people. Stay with me. Imagine, though, as a child of God, that you can walk in this world with the authority of Jesus in your life, the authority of Christ, the, the anointing of God upon your life, the Holy Spirit resting upon your life. The blood of Jesus paid the way for it all to be yours. That you are already walking in victory, but you're living a defeated life. If we could understand something and know that the enemy is already defeated, then why would we fear telling somebody about Jesus? Why would we be worried about somebody's response or somebody's, you know, you know, response to, you know, saying, do you want to have Jesus into your heart? Here's the deal, church. Jesus said this. He said, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you also. They're not rejecting you. They're not rejecting an invitation to attend your church. They're rejecting him. And at that point, we wash our hands and we move on, right? But the devil is eternally defeated. Colossians 2 and 13 says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins in having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. But he goes on to say, But he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And verse 15 is so powerful. And it says, And having disarmed... The powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus defeated the devil. Amen. He is eternally defeated. And there is nothing, church, that, that you, know, you need to fear when you're talking to somebody about Jesus. And I want to remind somebody here this morning that Satan is defeated. He is disarmed and he is forever condemned to hell because Jesus is our victory. Amen. Amen. He is our victory. Every power was disarmed through the blood that Jesus shed. Every devil was publicly embarrassed by the cross. And just when the enemy thought that he had won, there wasn't enough guards in front of that tomb. Amen. Just when the enemy thought, oh man, I've got Jesus, there wasn't enough guards in front of the tomb. There wasn't a stone big enough. Just when the enemy thought he was going to have his way, guess what? The stone began to roll away and the body of Jesus would not be held to a grave, church. The body of Jesus would not be chained to death because the Father resurrected him to heaven and so the Father longs to resurrect dead hearts and dead lives and dead families back to him in Jesus' name. Last one. The light of Christ gives you confidence to walk in a dark world. Psalms 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. And whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against to me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes that will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. And though a war break out against me, even then I will be confident. In a world full of darkness, fear is one of the enemy's greatest strategies to paralyze the church. In a world full of darkness, it is one of the enemy's greatest strategies to impart fear into the people of God because fear is what kept Gideon asking for signs from God. God had called Gideon and God had a plan for Gideon's life, but Gideon even had to go down to the enemy's camp to hear God's plan for him. 
Gideon had to literally hear his enemies say, oh man, you know that Gideon? Dude, that Gideon's going to defeat us. He had to hear it in that camp. Fear is what literally kept 100,000 Israelite soldiers on the sideline while Goliath stood up day after day for 40 days and defied an entire nation. That's what fear does. 100,000 soldiers could not take down one man. Where is the Spirit of God that says that all authority under heaven and earth has been given to me? Where is the Spirit of God in your life? Where is the light of Jesus upon your life that says there is no devil in hell that could ever overtake you or your family because you are a residing child of God in Jesus? Fear is what makes the church immobile and afraid to speak. But can I tell you that the Holy Spirit in 2 Timothy 1 and 7 says the Holy Spirit is not a spirit of fear. God does not give you a spirit of fear. He does not make us timid, but he gives us power, love, and self-discipline. The scripture instructs and it empowers and it gives boldness to the people of God when it says in Isaiah chapter 60 verse 1, he says, Arise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. It says, See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over all the people, but the Lord rises upon you and its glory appears over you. It says, Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. I want you to know something, church. You are empowered for a purpose. You are empowered to destroy the works of Satan in the lives of people because Jesus destroyed them once and for all. And unless we shine the light of Jesus in this darkened world, people will stay bound and in chains and on their way to hell. 1 Peter 2 and 9, but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare, everybody say that I may declare, the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. He says, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Church, it is time to march forth and do the work. Amen? It is time to march forth and do the work of God. Jesus didn't die so that we could sit and be afraid in the pews of a church. I said Jesus did not die so that we could sit back and watch the world go to hell, but rather he gave his life that those who would believe in him would carry the hope of the gospel to all the nations into all the world in Jesus' name. Colossians 1 and 13 says he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and he has brought us into the kingdom of the son that he loves in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sin. The final question that I have for you this morning as every head is bowed is are you forgiven of your sin? Are you forgiven? Are you washed in the blood of Jesus? Have you renounced the ways of this world and have you said yes to follow Jesus? Because my friend, if you have not made that decision, if you have not said yes to Jesus, if you have not chosen to call him your Lord and Savior, then I have to be honest with you. We're going to take communion in a moment and this table will mean absolutely nothing to you. 
Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org give.